I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. I'm Mark Frost, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Ben, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Frostgiving. Happy Frostgiving, because that's what we'll be doing today. It all starts on that fateful day when we met Mark Frost in New York at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, I believe it was uh, October 20th. Yes. When we got to Barnes & Noble, we were talking about maybe recording Mark Frost on the secret history of Twin Peaks book. Yes. So we get there, and we've been hanging out for the day, right? We spent, yeah. the, we spent the day at Barnes & Noble. Um, with Mark from Deer Meadow Radio. Yeah, cool guy. Yeah. And then they started setting up audio equipment for the event. And a light bulb went off. A light bulb went off. What if we could get their feed and have a nice, clean audio from oh, Mark Frost? how nice would that, that would be? be? So I spoke to them, and uh, they said, sure, if it's okay with Barnes & Noble. Yeah. And I spoke with Barnes & Noble, and I talked to the publisher's people, and there was it kind of went back and forth where it was kind of like, okay, maybe we can do it, maybe we can't. It went to a point where it was like, ah, we can't because, you know, it wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be fair to other people. Yeah. So that's how I was left. You decided you are going to go get some coffee. <laughs> The key. This is a key moment this is in the story. A key, key moment in the story. Brian's like, okay, we've been here all day. I gotta go get some coffee. I needed coffee. Right. I was. Dying. And we're just sitting near each other, and I'm just, uh, you know, my back's uh, away from the audio people, and I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden, uh, the PR person says, "Ben, uh, Mark would like to talk to you." <laughs> <laughs> and I turn, and there is Mark, Mark. Frost, and uh, you know, I had to stick out my hand and, and, yeah, and yeah, shake yeah. his hand. It was a little. It was crazy to be actually having a conversation. And Mark was like, you know, I just can't let you uh, record this because he's going to be doing these talks yeah. um, you know, around the country and he felt like, oh, may, they may not be exactly the same, but they'll be similar and he felt it wouldn't be fair to other people who were going to uh, hear his reading. Yeah. And I said to him, what if we don't air it for a month? And he said, well, okay, if it's after November 20th, you can air this. And you said, got yourself a deal. You got yourself a deal. And I shook his hand <laughs> again. again. <laughs> <laughs> Two handshakes. You got three handshakes out of the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, right, because afterwards uh, we 
we we did a, he did book signing and I was able to uh, shake his hand again. Yes, but it was that was really cool. I mean, I, it was really nice of Mark to, to let us uh, record it. Yeah, and uh, that's what we have today. Yeah, it's very special to us because we get to bring what we heard that night and uh, experienced, and everybody get to hear it on the week of Thanksgiving, as I like to call it, Frostgiving. It's Mark's Frost gift to you guys. Yeah, Mark Frost gives to you guys. So right. enjoy. Good evening. Mark Frost is a novelist, screenwriter, director, and producer who began his career in television, writing episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man and Hill Street Blues. He began collaborating with director David Lynch in 1986, eventually forming Lynch Frost Productions and creating the legendary television series Twin Peaks. Serving as co-executive producers, Frost and Lynch won a Golden Globe, a Peabody Award, and the series earned 17 Emmy nominations. Here tonight to celebrate the release of his new book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, please join me in welcoming to our stage, Mark Frost. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Good to see you. By the way, the, uh, the Emmys were rigged that year. <laughs> One of my favorite sayings, I, I think about this all the time because I love books, I love being around them. You may know it that uh, in the immortal words of Groucho Marx, outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> That's Groucho. Uh, <laughs> I first want to say thank you to all of you because for you to still care about a show that is now almost 27 years old, and you've kept the flame alive all these years. It was you, it wasn't us. We were thinking about other things, doing other things. It was the fans, online, on DVDs, in chat rooms, all over the internet, in small private places, gathering and having pie and coffee. How many are old enough to remember the original airing? Were you? Were you at parties way back then? Yeah, it was amazing. And we, it was an incredible experience for us all. And thank you for hanging in there all this time. We couldn't have done it without you. And, and in fact, without you, none of this would have been necessary. So uh, we're very happy to be here. I'd like to uh, begin by reading a small piece of the book. Uh, do you have your books? If, you, if you'd like to read along, you can open your hymnals to page seven. Let us play. The dossier, opening statement. A wise man once told me that mystery is the most essential ingredient of life for the following reason. Mystery creates wonder, which leads to curiosity, which in turn provides the ground for our desire to understand who and what we truly are. The search for meaning at the heart of life brings us to the contemplation of an eternal enigma. Mysteries are the stories we tell ourselves to contend with life's resistance to our longing for answers. Mysteries abound. This continent, this country, our own earthly origins are all laden with them, underlying our existence, predating all our childish notions of history. Mythology precedes our access to historical or scientific fact, and we know now fulfilled much the same function for earlier civilizations, providing meaning in the face of a remorseless, indifferent universe. But in the absence of scientifically verifiable fact, it is necessary to sometimes view them as one and the same. So it is best to start at the beginning, so signed and duly sworn 
the archivist. That's the first page of the book. Has anybody read it all the way through yet? Okay, so some of you know who the archivist is. Shh, don't say anything. You don't want to ruin it for everybody. The book is filled with a lot of familiar voices, people you will know from the show, a lot of new people you're going to meet, a lot of historical events that give you the context for understanding the world that we've created. Uh, and we've also done kind of a fun thing with the audio version of the book, in case you're tempted to buy a copy of that as well. And there, you will not only meet these people, you will hear some very familiar voices. Not all of them playing the people that they played originally, some of them playing other people, and some new actors that you're going to meet later on, you'll be hearing for the first time. I want to see if you can identify this first voice in the immortal words of the great Chief Joseph. I have tried to save you from suffering and sorrow. We are few and they are many. You can see all that we have at a glance. They have goods and ammunition in abundance. We must suffer great hardship and loss. I will go now to the place known to our ancestors, seldom visited, the place of smoke by the great falls and the twin mountains, to seek aid of the great spirit chief in this time of need. Okay, raise your hands if you know who that was. Raise your hands if you know who that, who, if you don't know who that was. That's the voice of Michael Horse, known to most of you as Deputy Hawk, and he's all over the CD, and I think you'll love hearing from him. We're going to go now to page 74. We meet a young Boy Scout who writes about a strange encounter he has in those woods outside of Twin Peaks. He was the scout master of his troop, and his name was Andrew Packard. And this is an entry from his diary. Dear Diary, this is the section of my story that they left out of the printed edition in the Gazette. They told me at the time that they ran out of space, but I think it probably had a whole lot more to do with the fact that Douglas Milford was at the time living in sin with Pauline Cuyo, the estranged daughter of the owner of the Gazette. We examined the footprints in the mud, and I took my photographs. Scoutmaster Milford, looking off into the woods, now told me a story about a camping trip his younger brother Douglas had taken in the same location six months ago. Although both brothers had worked with the Boy Scouts for years, Douglas no longer served as a scoutmaster. Scoutmaster Milford told me the reason was that Douglas had recently been asked to leave the scouts after an unseemly incident having to do with said camping trip, which Scoutmaster Milford said highlighted a lamentable defect in his brother's character. It was no secret among scouts that the Milford brothers had a complicated relationship, so I listened and asked no questions. Earlier that year, Douglas came back from said camping trip with a wild story about having encountered what he called a giant in the forest. Given that Douglas had always been prone to fanciful and chronic exaggeration, this latest example of a tall tale was discounted by Duane and everyone else. That provoked greater protestations from Douglas, including an even more outlandish claim that on the same trip he'd also come across a walking owl that he told Duane was nearly as tall as a man. Douglas also swore he'd captured photographic evidence of both creatures, but it turned out the film in his camera had been prematurely exposed. 
He blamed this on the dark room at the Milford family pharmacy, suggesting that it was Duane's fault for improperly mixing the chemicals. Douglas also said having the pictures didn't really matter because he had a photographic memory, which Duane confirmed. His brother does have near total recall and remembered every last detail. In the weeks that followed, Douglas would sometimes vanish from home for days. Duane believed his brother might have been sneaking up to these woods again. Raise your hand if you remember who Doug and Duane Milford were. Okay, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, uh, Duane Milford you met uh, during the first series was the mayor of Twin Peaks. And his brother Douglas, who you met only briefly, was the fellow who married Lana, also known as Miss Twin Peaks 1989. And then, uh, shortly after uh, their wedding night, shuffled off this mortal coil. Douglas Milford has a lot to do with what happens in this book, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him now. Many in town to this day believe it was no phantom Bigfoot in the woods that derailed the life of Douglas Milford, but the demon rum. Anecdotal evidence from residents during this period frequently mention Douglas and booze in the same breath, and this was during the height of prohibition to boot. For a while there in the 1920s, to state it more plainly, the younger Milford brother became the town drunk. Douglas left Twin Peaks after the crash of 29 when the depression hit, riding the rails, drifting from city to city, a man without a home, a family, or any apparent purpose, a not uncommon fate for the rootless during that dire decade of the 1930s. Little is heard from Douglas until he next turns up in San Francisco, where he enlisted in the Army the day after Pearl Harbor in 1941. He spent the war years in a quartermaster's brigade in the Army Air Corps, island hopping across the Pacific as the Allies turned back the tide against the Japanese. Douglas survived the war intact and next turned up at an Army air base in Roswell, New Mexico in July of 1947. Records indicate he was working at the base's PX at the time, now a corporal in the Army Air Forces, but questions remain about what he was actually doing there. What is clear is that he was present on the base at the time of the infamous Roswell UFO crash, and his name appears on a list of people who were interviewed by military officers in the days after whatever happened out there happened. What follows is the only transcript of that interview with Douglas Milford, this correspondent, through strenuous effort, has been able to obtain. 00073 interview form, reference 221912, date 8th July 1947. Interviewer redacted, interviewee Corporal Douglas Milford. Please state your name and rank. Corporal Douglas James Milford, Army Air Forces. Where do you reside? Here on the base, Roswell Field. Are you married, Mr. Milford? I'm married, but I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic about it. <laughs> hey, pal, can I have some Java? What they're serving in the brig is like cat piss. Please tell us of your experience in the early morning of July 5th, 1947. Well, I'm working the early shift on the register, right? And all through the pre-dawn rush, we're hearing scuttlebutt that some sort of top-secret test craft or something even stranger had crashed out in the desert during a thunderstorm. From whom did you hear this? Everybody, really, nobody in particular, anyone coming into the PX. Word was they'd been tracking some strange bogeys on radar the past few days, but this was something extra heavy. You knew that right away. Then about an hour before dawn, the MPs and some hotshot flyboy rush in and shut down the whole cantina. Hush, hush, mum's the word. 
Did you notice this officer's name or rank? Major, I guess, judging by the brass on his collar, but none of us knew the guy, and if he was wearing a name tag, I didn't notice it. What did you do then? I helped close up shop, then went out back for a smoke, but found I couldn't stop thinking about this. Always been that way. Curiosity eating away at me. The whole base had a tit in the ringer, high alert, so I borrowed a Willis from the motor pool, snuck out the back gate, and drove out there myself for a look-see. How did you know where to go? There was a convoy of vehicles scrambling out that way, heading northwest. It was still dark, so I just fell in and followed them at a discreet distance. How far did you travel? Maybe 35 miles. You could see lights over the hills ahead, so once I got close, I slipped off the road, came in a back way onto the sheep ranch where everybody was headed. What did you see, Mr. Milford? Well, I came over this rise, off-road at this point, and looking down, I saw this debris field stretched out across a low plain for two, three hundred yards. What sort of debris field? A crash site, that was obvious. A big, shallow trench had been gouged into the ground as long as a football field. You could hear the hum of a generator, and all around it, lights they set up were picking up pieces of bright, shiny metal. Strange material. Unconventional looking, to say the least. MPs were scrambling to set up a perimeter, and off in the distance, I could spot a big clusterfuck of Air Force personnel bunched around something. Could you see exactly what they were doing? Hey, pal, can I bum a smoke? <sighs> Thanks. Now, I was a good distance away, over a quarter mile, but they were gathered around some kind of intact craft that had gone nose up into an embankment. Looked kind of like a flying wing shape, like an old Curtis. I pulled out a pair of field glasses and zeroed in. Saw they were trying to lift this thing with a crane out of the embankment and moving on to a flatbed. Was it a plane? Couldn't tell. What else did you notice? Soldiers milling all around, real chaotic scene, and I noticed they're all wearing gas masks. Some of them were combing through the debris trail, but others were moving around things lying on the ground close to the wreckage. Could you identify what they were? Your guess is as good as mine. Or better. What did they do with these things? They were loading them into the back of some ambulances that were waiting nearby. You never saw what they were? No, sir. But some of them they were putting into bags, and a couple they were loading onto stretchers. Then a big black car with a motorbike escort jams up and parks nearby. By this time, they'd loaded the craft onto the flatbed and were covering it with a tarp. This guy hops right out, ramrod straight, takes a gander at the craft, and marches right over the ambulances. Did you recognize the officer? I didn't say it was an officer. Did you recognize the man who exited the car? Not at first. When I got back, I realized his picture is hanging up in the PX. Who was it? Is it okay to say? Just state what you saw, please. Looked to me like it was General Twining. General Nathan F. Twining? Commander of Air Material Command? Yes, sir, that General Twining. What did the general do when he first arrived on the scene? He takes a quick peek inside the ambulance and starts barking orders. They closed up the doors and drove off. No siren, but they left in a hurry. Then he walked over toward the wreckage. At that point, a wave of MPs pour over the hill behind me and I get knocked on the head. Next thing I know, I'm wearing cuffs in the back of a paddy wagon. Listen, no disrespect, sir, but would you mind if I spoke briefly to your superior officer? Why? You could tell him this isn't the first time I've seen something like this. Douglas Milford, who goes on to have a very interesting career. 
I want to take you now back to a, a more familiar voice, and I think you'll recognize him pretty, pretty quickly. This uh, happens a little later, more in the time frame that you're used to experiencing the world of Twin Peaks. After losing her eye, there's a clue, <laughs> while recuperating in Calhoun Hospital, Nadine was assessed for the first time in her adult life by a licensed psychiatrist. Dr. Lawrence Jacoby had returned to Twin Peaks from the island of Oahu in Hawaii in 1981 after the death of his mother, Leilani, and established a private practice in town as well as a consulting residency at the local hospital. Dr. Lawrence Jacoby, 112987, 4.30 p.m. Nadine Gertz Hurley, married. Date of birth? January 25th, 1950. Female, 37. Five foot six inches, 112 pounds. Wow. Patient is really whacked out, poor thing. I mean, she is hip deep in this shit. Husband shot out her left eye a couple of weeks ago. Hunting accident, or at least that's their story about it. And it doesn't ring altogether true, so there's plenty of room for skepticism once you get past the particulars. Husbands, the sturdy, stolid, patriarchal type, classic blue-collar, strong, silent, upstanding Vietnam vet, but non-combatant, not to suggest for a second that he shot her on purpose, but someone made a choice here. And my money's on Nadine. She's a thwarted creative with severe blockages and neurotic adaptations. No doubt from family history, which I will try and take some time to inventory. Working hypothesis, the left eye is wired to the right side of the brain. So in the event a choice was made, patient has chosen to shut down the optic pathway to her intuitive side. One possible interpretation would be that she was sensing something going on around her that she didn't want to see. The injury will likely prompt a period of intense suffering, as it seems she was already predominantly left brain dominant. And the right side is now literally flying blind. Since we almost know there's no such thing as an accident, and there's a positive side to every negative choice, let's dance with the idea that perhaps she willed the loss of her eye to stimulate internal growth in her area of greatest deficit. We all choose our fate, even if, well, to quote Beetle Paul with St. Paul, the road to Damascus is long and winding, but if she can be led to embrace what she's unconsciously chosen for herself, maybe she's got a chance. The family has an extensive file here at the hospital. Aha, mother was diagnosed manic depressive at this very institution about 10 years ago and shipped off for state psychiatric care. Dad signed the papers. She was sent to a former fort built in 1871 by the way, that had been converted to a mental ward where she underwent shock treatment. 
straitjackets and hydrotherapy, which involved pounding subjects with cold water from pressurized hoses. For a more primitive means of treating this illness, you'd have to refer back to the Victorians and Bedlam. <laughs> Astonishing. It gets worse. The daughter was herself admitted for comprehensive treatment for depression about two months after mom was sent to the snake pit. Nadine froze in school one day, standing at her locker, couldn't move. They found her locked in place between classes and had to carry her like a mannequin to the nurse's office. Not a full break. It turned out but a debilitating one requiring six weeks of treatment including such classics as sleep and art therapy and a soupçon of Thorazine, after which she was released to spend another six weeks in at-home supervised care with Dad, the undiagnosed alcoholic, as her primary, whereas in a native village the entire population would have cared for her equally and compassionately around the clock. <laughs> and they're the primitives. Don't get me started. That's good, Gene. At right which there. point, Mom came home from West. Anyway, uh, that, as you surely have guessed, is the voice of the great Russ Tamblin, one of the legends of Hollywood, someone we were privileged to work with. And as you probably know, he's listed in the cast of the upcoming season of Twin Peaks. I would go deeper, but I don't want to give anything away. And the sooner I stop, the sooner you can all get to reading. So I want to leave you with two thoughts. I, I've been doing this a long time. I think there are really two secrets to writing. The first, don't tell everything at once. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> Let's sign some books. <laughs> and we are now here with John Thorne, the godfather of Twin oh, Peaks. <laughs> from the <God>. essential wrapped in... <laughs> wrapped in plastic. John Thorne, so great to have you on the show today. Thanks very much for having me back yet again. I hope you're not getting bored of, of Oh, me. we love it. We, we'd have you on every week if we could. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. No, people would get tired of that quickly. You got to uh, go to this event where Mark Frost was doing a reading. Do you want to share that with us? Uh, yeah. I, I had hoped that when I heard that Frost was going to do a book tour that he would get close, if not actually, into Dallas, Texas. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, I start seeing all these uh, East Coast and <laughs> West Coast uh, dates, uh, and I kind of thought, well, he's probably not going to do it. And then I guess late in the whole process there, there was an announcement that he was appearing at the Texas Book Festival, which is held in Austin, Texas, <laughs> and uh, which is about three hours or so south of Dallas. And so I was like, well, I you know, I go I go down there frequently. I'm driving down to Austin to see Mark Frost. So, awesome. um, and that was the last stop on his uh, his North American book promotional tour. Mm. So I um, and my wife and I got up very early, and luckily it was the morning uh, after we switched the clocks and drove down to see him down there. Cool. Were we the first? Was ours the first? Yes. So it's funny. We, we started with the first one in New York that Brian and I went to. There was no uh, yeah. question and answer session. So no. we got that, but I believe you got some uh, question and answer yeah. time. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting event. Um, I, I will tell you, uh, I uh, texted uh, Ben on my way back and said, hey, I got to see Frost, and I sent him a picture. And you, Ben, said, well, you know, that's a good idea for a blog post. So uh, then uh, later I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I wrote up a, a short blog post that basically is what I'm about to, to talk to you guys about and included the, the picture of me with Frost. But um, And your blog post is above the store.blogspot.com. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the whole the blog is actually called "Above the Convenience Store," but that was just too many too many mm-hmm. words. So it's above the store Anyway, um, so uh, to to begin with, I mean, I got to the hotel about two hours before the event was his his appearance, um, and I was lucky. I got a great parking spot, and my mm-hmm. wife and I went upstairs into the lobby, and and we said, "Well, you know, let's eat. Let's let's eat in the in the nice restaurant, you know, not, not, <laughs> let's not go around the corner." And so we went into this pretty nice uh, restaurant right there in the in this fancy hotel, and we're sitting there eating. And I must say, it was in the back of my mind, uh, and, and turned out my wife was thinking the same thing. I thought, well, you know, what didn't. You know, the odds are maybe he's going to show up at the restaurant for a bite to eat. <laughs> and I thought about that. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it more than just mulling it over. And I look up, and sure enough, there he is. He walks in. It's kind of an open atrium type mm. of uh, restaurant, you know. And he walks in, and I see him, and I'm like, oh, oh, there he is. And I have to say, I, you know, I've talked to him on the phone lots and lots of times over the years, and I've actually met him before. But I was mm. sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do. I kind of my mouth kind of went dry. <laughs> And, uh, and my wife said, you got to go over and you've got to go over and tell him you're here, you know, just say hello. Mm. So I did, I walked over, which was, you know, it was an awkward thing in a restaurant, you know, Mm. and I walked over and I, I said, Hey, you know, uh, Mark Frost, this is John Thorne wrapped in plastic. And he, he knew who I was right away. He stood, he stood up and he he started, you know, really chatting with me and, and spending some time with me. And I asked him if I could just sit down and, and, you know, have a little more conversation with him after he did his event. And he said, well, do it before. Come come back here after I've finished eating and, and sit down and we'll do it. So it was all off the record. The Twin Peaks stuff is off the record, but really there was there – was there was really nothing at all. Uh, and, but we talked a lot about TV. We talked mm-hmm. about the changing world of um, television and how it's, it's different from when Twin Peaks was on the air. And uh, we talked about some of our favorite shows that we've been watching. Uh, you know, I don't think this is revealing anything. I did ask Mark Frost when it was the one-on-one. This is not revealing anything because there's nothing to reveal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did say, do you know when the show is going to come back on? Hmm. When what's the date? And oh. he said, "I honestly don't know." Wow. And I believe him. I don't think he knew. I think he said because I, I, I think if he told me, then I wouldn't be telling you. Right. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I wouldn't right. myself because yeah. he, I was off the record. But he, he really said, "I don't know." He did say, uh, and we've heard this before, so this isn't news that the uh, old series is supposedly starting in January again on Showtime. Now I haven't heard any announcements. Mm. Of that, uh, other than yeah, I know Joel Bacco got a hold of somebody at Showtime, and then they told him the same thing. But Mark Frost was telling me directly, "Wow, it's coming back on in January." And my wife was there too. The three of us, we had a really nice visit with him for twenty minutes or so, mm. uh, and then um, he already knew that, that Craig had passed away. Craig mm. Miller, who who did Wrapped in Plastic with me, and I talked to him a little bit about that, and uh, talked to him a little bit about my book, which he knew about but had not yet seen. So mm. I'm going to get him a copy. But that was all good. I mean, that was just a thrill. And and then he he went and did the the panel, and he had a moderator there who was basically asking him questions. And then he did a short reading, and then he took questions from the audience, which Mm -hmm. I was surprised about because I knew from from what you guys had done and some other 
you know, reports of his, his book tour that he was basically just doing readings and signings and not taking questions. So he answered a bunch of questions about the book. Uh, he didn't talk about the show at all, the, the new show. Mm. And he even called me out at one point. He said, I can't remember this. John, do you remember? And I just said, oh, <laughs> oh cool. no, I don't remember. <laughs> so, awesome. so, you know, that was kind of fun. Yeah. And he, he had a good crowd there too. It was really nice to see. He had a good crowd there, all, all different ages. I mean, people who who obviously, you know, weren't even born when the show had come on and then some older people who were really yeah. into it and, and it was great. It was really good. You know, he had talked about the production of the book. The moderator had said, you know, it's sort of like a work of art. You've got all these different pieces. You've got a lot of a lot of illustration element to this book. And and he talked about how he really wanted to recreate the idea of a dossier which has these different pieces that have been preserved uh, mm. in the pages. And then he said the production of the book, uh, he had a team of people who were going out and doing the research to make it accurate and try mm. to, you know, to, to uh, depict these various things in, and uh, he had a group uh, blah 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 and so I said at one point I asked well you know how much did you oversee the detail of it because I'm thinking of a postcard <laughs> that you have in there from Norma <laughs> oh. and I said that stamp that's on there <laughs> and he nice. said uh he said, oh, and he, now this, this is the interesting thing. So I'll share this with you and, and everyone else who's listening. So this is how it went down. He said, he looked at me and he said, yeah, they went out and did that postcard, but they messed up the stamp. And then he did that, you know, he crossed his fingers. He kind of rubbed his fingers together like, no, no. <laughs> like they made a mistake. And I said, did they make a mistake <laughs> or was that deliberate? And he goes, you can't get everything right and blah, blah, blah. He, he kind of went on. Yeah. So, so later – I got my book signed and I said, the stamp's a mistake. I really pushed him on it. And he goes, well, it could be or maybe it's a forgery. Mm. And I said, OK, well, I don't know how much of that was him just trying to kind of sneak out of, you know, yeah. out of it and add to the mystery of it. But then he did say and he was very, very explicit. He did say, but there's lots of other deliberate mistakes in there. Nice. There's oh, a, so he did wow. acknowledge that there's stuff in there that they got quote-unquote wrong on purpose. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He did not say those exact words. So mm -hmm. don't anyone, you know, run out and go, oh, this is what Mark Frost said. This is how, what I took away from it. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty clear that he had planted puzzles in there. He talked about the, um, the picture that's in the book of the Bookhouse Boys' uh, favorite books. It's, mm -hmm. on, you know, it's on a bookshelf, which uh, someone, I think the, the guy you had on, I forget his name, yeah, Aaron. I think it's Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, you had him on recently when he talked about the uh, puzzle and how he had sort of deciphered the clue that was in there. Mm. Frost did not say specifically that that was the correct reading of it, but he did say, by the way, this is a hint or, or a clue. I forget which word he used, mm. but he said this picture is something. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, I think that's been cracked. I think Aaron successfully did that. That's awesome. So that was great. I and mean, that was really cool for him to acknowledge that there was you know, this specific piece is, mm. a, is a hint. And then we already know that maybe it's been deciphered. So I suspect that there's there's more of that in the book for sure. People asked him questions just who was his favorite character to write for, um, mm. uh, favorite part of the book. He did say his, his favorite part of the book was writing the Hawk section. You and the Red Room did a great job oh, on, on. Great episode. Great episode on the secret history oh, of thanks. Twin Peaks. I really loved it. It's so funny. I realize, John, you haven't even been on at all since since the book came out. <laughs> but I mean, I've talked to you and we've texted, uh, yeah. and, and I've listened to the Red Room <laughs> podcast. So I feel like, oh, everybody knows about 
about your theory about the stamp and stuff. But I don't know if everybody does know that. Do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit more about that stamp? Uh, you know, I noticed that the stamp that's on the postcard from Norma back to her parents when she is visiting uh, Los Angeles on her honeymoon with Hank. Stamp is the uh, moon landing stamp. Mm-hmm. And the postmark is April 17th, 1969, uh, which is impossible. The moon landing stamp was not released to the public until September, I think, of 1969. Mm. Uh, the actual die they used to print that stamp actually went to the moon uh, mm. in, in, wow. in that, that summer. So, um, so it's impossible for that postmark to be there on that. And I thought, well, for sure, <laughs> that's got to be a clue. And now I don't know. I really don't. After seeing Frost and hearing him talk about it and press a little on it. I'm, I'm sort of at a loss whether or not uh, that is a clue or just a mistake. But when I thought it was a real definitive clue, I thought, well, maybe there is some sort of alternate reality going on, maybe some, some time travel element, um, which may sound far-fetched, but David Lynch has discussed time travel mm. as a possible element of Twin Peaks uh, in, in other interviews. And, I can and see that. Um, we see some of that essentially when Annie appears to Laura. Mm, um, uh, so in, in Fire Walk With Me. So that's something I noticed in, in the book was the, uh, was the stamp. Um, so what, whether, whether it means anything or not um, is still uh, to be decided. Yeah. When we reviewed the book, we had Joel on. Yeah. And Joel thought that you, know, you weren't very happy with the book. But I feel like <laughs> since talking to you, you, you maybe you've changed how you feel about the book. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I, I will tell you, certainly, um, I was not happy at the beginning. Um, and that is when it first you know, hit me that things just were not making sense. They didn't fit the narrative that we knew. And mm. you know, some of the big things everybody knows these now is yeah. uh, Norma's mom being alive. There mm. doesn't seem to be an Annie Blackburn. Uh, one of the most startling things to me was the letter from Audrey to mm. Ben. Yeah. And uh, the, of course, the big Ed, uh, Nadine uh, backstory has been changed uh, and, and lots of other little things. And so those things seemed, it, it, you know, on first reading, like, wow, he just doesn't remember what, <laughs> what happened. And he, he kind of... Yeah. Just decided, and and but that that really was, um, you know, that was sort of the knee jerk reaction to it. It's clear from what Frost has said on Twitter and other places that this is a book of puzzles, and mm. it is something more complex than uh, certainly first appears. And of course, that's very appealing to me, and I, that's Twin Peaks to me. I, mm. I like the idea of something that's challenging, that something requires you to really put more of yourself into it, which is what, again, what Twin Peaks was from the beginning, and to try to struggle with it. Um, and maybe there are, is not one definitive uh, answer to it. Maybe there's uh, interpretive answers. People have different ideas about what it means and how it fits in with the whole story. So uh, so to just to you know, quickly sum up, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by the book. I look forward to reading it again. I think mm. it's a valuable addition to this this whole thing and i'll say but my latest idea and every day i come up with you know new reactions to the book I mean, some days i'm a little more positive and some days i'm not but it, it occurred to me that all four of the official twin peaks um books that have been released over the years the diary uh the autobiography of cooper the access guide and now the secret history all four of them have uh, differing timelines that don't quite match mm, yeah. what the story represented and i wondered if frost is 
was aware of that mm. uh, and thought, you know, maybe there's a way to incorporate all of these pieces, these extra uh, books into some sort of overarching um, idea or narrative that allows them to still have, you know, a lot of value to mm. the, you know, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? I do, so that yeah. he's sort of saying, yeah, we know there's mistakes in the dates in autobiography. We know there's mistakes in the dates in, in Laura's diary. Well, our new premise about Twin Peaks incorporates that possibility mm, that these things can be wrong. I, I, that's sort of wishful thinking on my part, right. but I wouldn't put it past Mark Frost to say, okay, this is what we have. Let's find a way to kind of resolve it all. Yeah. Maybe they have. Yeah, that's I like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, you're talking about inaccuracies. There, there are even little things that were bothered me that, you know, there's something where Pete played checkers, not chess. Yeah. And like right. that to me is like, are you kidding me? There have been episodes after episode. He was like the master. He was playing <laughs> two. The whole subplot. Yeah, the whole subplot. <laughs> and he'd be playing two people at the same time and yeah. beat them both. And <laughs> right. so actually Mark Frost was on Reddit. AMA. AMA. He did an yeah. AMA. Yeah, and, and I got and we, we got to ask him a question. And I basically said, you know, is Pete Martell a checkers player or a chess player? And <laughs> right. um, Mark yeah. Frost says master checkers player if if there is right. such a thing and so I mean it's clear he's playing with us now I mean like or yes. do you think he firmly <laughs> believes that no no you know I think I think the Pete checkers chess uh, comment was one of the few places where he was you know putting the neon light you know, with the arrow pointing right at it, saying, here, right here, do you see? I am definitely messing with you. <laughs> this is deliberate, and this is a warning sign, and start paying attention, because yeah. not everything adds up, and maybe there's a master plan to explain why. I go back and forth. Some days I think forgery is the best way to go, and I know mm. Joel was talking about how it, that didn't add anything to the narrative, and I'm not quite sure I fully accept that. I think it could. Me too. Me too. Uh, and then alternate timelines, Joel made an excellent point on your last uh, podcast, or very recent podcast, where you know it should branch out rather than branch in. Mm. Uh, the timelines should kind of spread out into weird new places instead of sort of collapsing in on the same end mm. point. But even that I thought, mm, you know, what if you think about some sort of, you know, there are these points of story that are inevitable, and no matter where our characters start from, they're going to end up there. I, mm. I wonder in the philosophy of David Lynch, you know, that maybe. Maybe that's allowed. Can't avoid Nadine's eye getting shot out. No matter what you do, yeah. you go to yeah. Vietnam or whatever, you're still going to come <laughs> back to that fixed point in space or yeah. time. I'm open right now. I'm kind of open to whatever it might be, and I am happy that at least it's it's a challenge. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, John, for your time. Yeah. I appreciate sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Happy to do it. It was such a great time to go to New York. And, awesome you time. know, clearly the cherry on top was being able to meet Mark Frost. Yeah. But we also got to hang out with a lot of cool people. The community. This is I, I. I was telling Ben on the ride home. It is so cool because we meet people we've had on the show. We meet people that we talk to mm. through social media. But it's like when you meet them in person, you just feel like you've known them forever. Yeah. And everyone's so nice. So like, nice. Super nice. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So who would we meet, Ben? Who do we have? Well, we already talked to uh, Mark from Deer Metal Radio. We had lunch with him and David Bushman, David, which yeah. was very nice that David came out and had lunch with us. Yeah, he couldn't. He actually wasn't available to stay for the event, but it was cool that we could have lunch with him and talk a little bit about. Yeah, I, we, me and him were talking about uh, Walking Dead and TV and Gotham and stuff like that. So it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then we, later on in the day, we met up with Maya from uh, Twin Peaks Fanatic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. First time meeting her. And then Francine. Francine from the Pink Room. She's awesome. So we had them both together with us. We finally get to meet them in person. 
Then on top of that, there's this woman who's sitting like uh, an aisle ahead of us, and, and she yeah. was a listener of the show. Yeah, that was really cool. That's Small what, world. And, like, I, and later on, I found that there was other people, I think Michael and other people that were fans that were in that audience, and we just never got to meet up with them. Oh, but, yeah, that's too that's bad. Sh- that's too bad. Uh, there was a girl from the Reddit community. She was there. Awesome. With her uh, with her friend Tommy. But it was Peter from Welcome to Twin Peaks. He was there. He had just done um, an actual interview, a Facebook Live interview with Mark Frost but she did a great job I thought it was interesting you know that week we had Brad Dukes who did an uh, interview and we did an interview with Mark Frost and then Peter had done an an interview and I I thought Peter did a great job asking about characters and he definitely had his own uh, questions very different from what Brad and us did and it was really cool you you should definitely go check out the the Facebook page and we got to meet the three-time Twin Peaks trivia champ who is no longer allowed to participate. From the Twin Peaks Fest there, yeah. But is allowed to help make the questions, Mr. Spencer. Mr. Spencer, that was very cool. Nice and guy. And you recognized him from Scott Ryan's film. Yeah, Scott Ryan's uh, voyage documentary. To, yeah, documentary Voyage to Twin Peaks. I said, he looks very familiar. And it's like, oh, yes, he's the one that beat Scott. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that, we got to meet Murray, Kristen. We get to meet... Evan, they were all hanging out with Spencer and Peter and Francine. Mm. And then what do we do, Ben? We decided we were like, we need to go back home. I know. Here's the thing is like, what time was it then? It was probably, maybe it was at eight o'clock at night. I don't even know what time it was. It was like nine o'clock. Oh, because maybe it was nine. And we hadn't had dinner yet. And I was. (laughs) We were starving. (laughs) We were becoming bears. I think we're both kind of nice people, but I think if we don't get food in us, we're going to be a Yeah, we get hangry. Hangry, (laughs) yes. But. I, Brian's like, are you ready to go, Ben? You ready to go? And I I'm know. like, I was I'm just like, and like, I think it was like an hour of Mark Frost just signing books and talking with people, and he's nicest guy. Kind of like, oh, I just want to stick around what, before he goes. Yeah. And then finally, I think Barnes and Noble is kicking us out. They're basically saying it's time to go, yep. leave. And then we're on the street, and we're still kind of just hanging out with the group, and we decide we're just gonna wait and see if if Mark Frost comes out. And, and he came out. Yes. And he was willing to take a picture, and you know, you could see that on our on our uh, Twitter and Facebook page. Yeah, we have a group photo with all of us. Very nice of him to do that. Very nice. And then. Then Spencer, he goes to California and he sees Mark Frost's other reading. Uh, yeah, like a week later. A week later, and he gets another photo with Mark Frost, and on top of that, Michael Horse. Michael Horse Hawk. Yes, he, that was a nice picture too. So he's got he's kind of like bookends here. You got the New York, New York? event and yep. then the and then the California event, East Coast and West Coast. Yeah, really cool. cool. Yeah, really cool. Like you said, Mark Frost was the cherry on top, but. Meeting the community, meeting people who have been on our show, seeing people we haven't seen from the community is so awesome. And I I always think that's my favorite part. Yeah. Like, we can meet all the celebrities from the show and the world. It always comes down to the community meeting right. everybody. So cool. For lunch, you were mostly talking to Dave Bushman, and I was mostly talking to Mark. Yeah, and it was great talking with Mark and and seeing what the research and the stuff he's working on in his show for Dear Metal Radio. Yeah, I mean, it's really check cool. his show out. Yeah, it's good. He he's really into a lot of the like folklore and all the mythology stuff. Yeah, the history yeah. and yeah, I really love the the research that he's doing on this show. So I can't wait to see what he does next. I did get correspondent on Reddit from Iswit. He's been listening to our show for a while, and he wrote to me. Uh, once the book hype dies down, would we be willing to search out some of the lesser lights of Twin Peaks? And he writes, i.e., people either unliked or never discussed who were involved with the show, maybe even a movie, um, and interview them. And he puts in some examples like Annette McCarthy, Diane Keaton, Kenneth Welsh, Robin Lovely, Nicholas Love. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, people like that. He wrote, some of these people are active on Twitter and seem open to talking about the show. McCarthy, mm. for example, was interviewed in Dukes' Reflections book. He writes, just a thought. I've heard so much about the typical Twin Peaks stuff that I'd like to hear some things that never generally are talked about from lesser loved people. Um, he wrote, I love your show. You're all nailing it lately. Thank you. And yeah, thank you for the, the nice message. He, you know, he's, I, I believe he's an admin on the Twin Peaks uh, Reddit page. Hmm. I've always said, I think for me, it would be so cool to get, I know, it's like Nicolas Cage would be cool. Oh, yeah. Um, Diane Keaton would Diane be awesome. Cool would be awesome. I, yeah, I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> I may haven't tried hard Laura enough. Dern. That would be awesome. Laura try. Dern <laughs> is like, I almost feel like nobody talks about her, but she was in so many Lynch movies. Right. I feel like she would have so much to talk about. Yeah. It's like I think about Coop, the group that tried to save Twin Peaks. I was more fascinated by this group that tried to save the show and reaching out to the actual people. Who did it. Who did it, the co-founders and stuff. So sometimes sometimes I'm more about like, okay, like right now I have some ideas I'm not willing to share yet. but there's definitely. Some things where, like, oh, this is an interesting history of Twin Peaks, but I have no idea yet how, who is the right person to talk to. And I think that's sometimes the frustrating thing. Like, Yeah. But it always comes to you, Ben. I, something about our show and other shows, too, when the time is right, you just know it. Yeah. You and, know, and it happens. Right. But I think about uh, Lynch in general. I think um, Monty Montgomery would be an interesting person to get. I don't have any idea how to reach out to him. He was involved with Wild at Heart, uh, Hotel Room, which is a, was a mini series for HBO. Yep. He, of course, he was the cowboy in Mulholland Drive. Drive. He he has a he's close friends with David Lynch. Wow! And it'd be I think it'd be really interesting to hear some stories about his work. That would be a cool guy yeah. because yeah, and he's got a great name. Yeah, he's got a cool name. He's a real cool name. He sounds like a cowboy. That name is very cowboyish. Yes. I'd be interested in anybody that's related to Lynch uh, or Twin Peaks. I think it would be great to have him on. Yeah. So I appreciate the feedback and the great names. At some point, we can reach out to some of those people and have them on. Yeah, it would be awesome. So thank you, Iswit, on Reddit. Appreciate the uh, comment. And you can get a hold of us at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, where the likes are just flowing in at this point. We're getting a lot of likes. And Twitter. Twitter's good. I mean, I think we're... kicking butt. Kicking butt. Yes. So you can check us out all those places, and you can listen to us every Wednesday. We're free at TwinPeaksUnwrapped.com. And iTunes, subscribe to us. Give us that five-star review. Leave us a comment. Where it's kind of like, hey, if you like one of our shows, if there's only one show you've listened to and say, hey, that was a great show, go to iTunes. Let people know that you enjoyed that show. Give us the five stars. Yeah, because it will allow us to get more exposure. Right. I'm hoping, I'm still hoping, we'll hit the top 50 by the time season three hits. That would be awesome. That would yeah. be something I else. mean, the episodes are doing really well. So we thank everybody for tuning in every week and listening to us in the community at large. All the other Twin Peaks podcasts they're amazing we i think we all help each other we have a great community we oh, have a great. wonderful community I know. deer metal radio barkwood in 21 the red room podcast red room podcast counter esperanto diane brad duke's show so ben this was our thanksgiving show a big thank you to our uh friends our family the community at large and all the people we've met along this journey. We're thankful for you all. It's been a blessing that we've had here doing this show and to have all the support we've had. And I wish everybody a safe and happy holiday. It's Dr. Lawrence Jacoby when we come back. I wanted to read you his final paragraph here because it may clear up a, a mystery that may have bothered some of you all these years. Uh, 
Final thought, a regret really. Patient would have been a perfect candidate to test my new optical integration system. Uh, glasses with one red polarized lens for the right eye, one blue polarized lens for the left. My working theory being that the red spectrum slightly suppresses activity in the left or logical hemisphere, while the blue spectrum does the same in the spatial intuitive side of the brain, and that were worn together, although it does tend to give reality a slightly purple tint. The patient tends to experience increased integration between the two spheres by increasing activity between the, within the corpus callosum and encouraging the two sides to work together. So you see, he did have a good reason for wearing those glasses. <laughs> I want to uh, thank you all for coming, and I want to answer a few questions before we get to writing books. The show you worked on after Twin Peaks with David was on the air. Yes, it was. Briefly, yeah. Briefly. <laughs> so is that ever going to be released on home video? There's been uh, serious discussion about this, and, and maybe when we get around to releasing the DVDs of the upcoming series, that might could be a, a possible extra, we'll see. They're just sitting there waiting, and uh, I just showed the pilot to my 12-year-old the other day, and <laughs> fell off the chair laughing. I mean, it's really crazy. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I hope I hope we will have a chance to get that out there. Yes? What yes. was your, what was oh, your yes. character to create? My favorite character to create, um, it's a hard question to answer. It's like asking me, what's my favorite child? Uh, but I only have one child, so. Uh, uh, my favorite character to write, um, I really had three, it, and you heard some of them, each of them tonight, except Agent Cooper being number one. Um, remember that when he tells the strange dream about falling asleep and, and dreaming that he was eating a delicious gumdrop and wakes up and discovers he's eating one of his earplugs. <laughs> that happened to me. <laughs> Uh, number two, I, I loved Dr. Jacoby. Love, love, love. I love Russ Tamblin. Um, I loved that character. Uh, he was hardly even in the pilot, and we didn't even know who or what he was going to be. And when Russ showed up, and he brought those glasses and the, the weirdest pair of green orthopedic shoes <laughs> you've ever seen, and, and that gave me the, the impetus to write him. And then uh, Deputy Hawk, you know, um, he's just super cool. And you're really going to like where he ends up, I think, when we come back next year. Um, we got time for a few more questions. Yes? Any more plans for the seven or any of that work, like coming up with more? Any more plans Please, for the list of seven? The list of seven was my first book um, in 1993, I think. Uh, don't date don't it. <laughs> I'm succeeded by The Six Messiahs. They're both books about Arthur Conan Doyle uh, and his friend Jack Sparks, who we will you discovered while you read the book was the model for Sherlock Holmes. I have a third book blocked out, and I've always been meaning to write it. I've just been too busy, uh, and I hope to someday go back and visit it. We've almost made the movie three separate times, um, and I always thought I would write the third book if we got the movie made. There's now talk that we may turn it into a TV series, so but for you fans well, then, of the I'm sorry, of then, with that, was that any help for you into the junior series, the... The Paladin Prophecy? Yeah, I mean, I mean, not. No, uh, I mean, uh, well, but just keeping that kind of vein of kind of. Mystery and that sort of thing. Kind of, yeah, yeah um, I wrote a, a young adult trilogy uh, over the last four or five years for Random House. And that came about because my then nine year old came up to me one day and said, Dad, why don't you write a book that I want to read? <laughs> uh, so I did. 
and, and he read all three of them. Uh, which so he's are, read three books? That's three of the five that he's read. Um, so that turned out well. Anybody else? Yes, right here. Um, to write a book this way, does this take a lot longer than a normal book, or is this about the same? You need to put in, I mean, all these little extra things. Uh, this took about a year from start to finish, and that's really? a, that's, that's kind of that's about normal for me. But um, uh, it was a lot of research, obviously, and, and finding all those voices. The, the advantage was I already knew all the Twin Peaks characters, so they were already in place. But um, it was a very intense year of work. And then a very intense six months working with the design team to create the template for all these documents that, that comprise the book, and uh, they did a wonderful job. So yeah, yeah it was a fun was to a, read things this way. It was a labor of love. It was really fun. Um, yes, I saw another hand. Yeah, right there. Uh, about how much of the book would you say is carryover from work that you did originally in the series, maybe background that you had already done, versus maybe unique to this project? Well, you know, we, we were uh, thinking at the time that we were going to do a third season. In fact, ABC had given us reason to believe they were going to pick it up. Um, and then they dashed our hopes. Uh, doggone it. But, but that set the stage for this weird 25-year pause and the return. So I guess things all worked out. Um, I would say that maybe 20% of the book ha I had mapped out at some point, given the way I was thinking about what was to come, and um, the rest of it just sort of came when I sat down. We have time for a couple more questions. Yes? Um, I was really impressed the way you incorporated like historical people throughout history. Like the, I don't know, I'm trying to avoid spoilers or anything, but like certain people that feature in Milford's story. Yes. His course working with the government and so forth. Um, only to find out that the stuff you included in regards to their interest in UFOs and other things turned out to be true. And I thought that was really neat to learn that about them. Yeah. And um, I wondered if that was just specific for the book or if you always had sort of an interest in like following these types of people and the leanings they had towards these um, subjects. Uh, did everybody hear that question? Um, number one, I, I had started working and blending fact and fictional characters, factual and real people, in the list of seven um, many years ago. There, uh, that book has people like Bram Stoker and Madame Blavatsky and others who are part of the story. Queen Victoria even makes a cameo. So I've always enjoyed the idea of uh, just kind of blending fact and fiction and, and creating something that works your perception of both. So this was a perfect opportunity to do that. and. There are many people from the real world who show up here, um, and uh, some of them even did the things that I said they did. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, that. Go off and read something else. It's like, oh wow, that's actually it. That yeah. Um, it'll be helpful to you to have the Googler nearby when you're, when you're reading this. Um, we have one more. One more question. Is it time for one more? Yes, sir. Um, which kind of came first, the scripts you penned with David, the book, or were they kind of done in tandem? Uh, the scripts came first. We um, we finished the scripts, we set up the the uh, show at Showtime, and then I said, and I want to do this. So I started right after that, and uh, finished, I guess, last January, um, in, in order to get it ready in time for this. So. Um, 
but one thing led right into the other, which was great preparation because visiting all these characters again, everything was fresh in my mind. I mean, you guys probably remember a whole lot more about the series than I do at this point, because I literally had not watched it in 25 years, and um, it was kind of fun. I mean, I don't really like watching things that I've done before, because all I see are the mistakes. Um, there's a shadow boom, you know, or, God, he forgot his line that day, you know, so-and-so was sick, and um, so that's how I, I tend to watch things that I've worked on, but um, thank God you all kept watching it, and I'm really glad you did. Uh, again, thank you all for coming. It's a real thrill for me to see see so many folks turn out, and um, let's sign some books. I'm gone, long gone, like a turkey in the corn. A turkey's one of the dumbest birds on earth. Gobble, 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 gobble. gobble. gobble.